Let me jump in. I think Jesus delights in giving us plans, and I think he delights in interrupting our plans. And I think he does that because the source and aim of all missionary life is to fellowship with him. In the plans and in the interruptions, in the methods and in the incidents. Is this the house church Paul and Silas were imagining? They were probably looking to, uh, this is, I'm going to do something this morning for, for quite a bit of time called network mapping, relationship network mapping. Just bear with me. Yeah, ooh, yes, somebody's excited about network mapping. We've got Paul here. This is what Paul and Silas and their team would be expecting to do. This is what they'd be expecting to do. We're going to land in, in Macedonia, and uh, we're going to do two things. We're going to uh, uh, proclaim and demonstrate the gospel in and around synagogues to men. Synagogues. I'll keep saying what I'm writing under the illusion that you can actually read it, but I know you can't, so I'll just keep saying it out loud. Synagogues. And then the other thing that they would engage in doing is not just doing ministry to people in and around synagogues, primarily men, and also God-fearing Gentiles who are men, uh, but they would also be going to the public square. They'd want to go to the public square. These are the two places that they would continually strategically do ministry in their entire first missionary journey. And no doubt we're expecting to do ministry in these places, in this way, uh, uh, in, their, in their missionary journey right here in Macedonia. In the synagogue and in the square. They were probably looking to do ministry to God-fearing men in and around that space. And end up, end up, at the end of the day, they were probably imagining they'd get a group uh, of mostly converted Jews and, at the, and then a couple of outlier God-fearing Gentiles uh, uh, to gather around in someone's house. They'd just find somebody with the biggest house and they'd gather people around for a couple of weeks for table fellowship and teach some sacraments. And then they'd find maybe one or two people in the room who are the most qualified, most seasoned, had the most char like, like character qualities. God was really emerging them as a leader. They'd install those people at el as elders and move on, go to the next place. This is what they would have been imagining based on previous experience. Instead, they wind up with a rich woman in the fashion industry and her whole household, a poor slave girl who's been delivered by a demon, probably in her early teens, and a Roman jailer, a member of the oppressor class and his whole household, all gathered around table fellowship in Lydia's mansion. This is a weird microchurch. This is, these, and this is not what they were imagining. This is not the group of people they imagined they would end up around a table. Uh, uh, there's probably a whole lot of reasons why they didn't want this group of people gathered around a table. They didn't think it would work or be helpful or strategic. Uh, and yet here they are with a really weird microchurch made up of a bunch of different people who otherwise should not be relating to one another. Um, and, and, not one of them being someone they were planning to reach. How did, this, how did this happen? How did this happen? How did this house church happen? This was not the plan. This was never the plan. This wasn't even close to the plan. There's not a single person in here that embodies the plan. Not a single one. This entire microchurch happens through a series of holy interruptions. Every single one of them. 
Last week, uh, 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 two weeks ago actually, Paul, this is what Keisha talked about, Paul and his team, uh, um, we'll say, quiet life. They went to pray. Paul and his team went to find a, find a river on the Sabbath to pray. After, after quite a bit of time of like no ministry effectiveness. They just went to connect with, were we even supposed to come here? Uh, uh, we don't see any fruit. We, we don't see any reason why we were actually supposed to come here. And in the space of solitude and quiet life, uh, suddenly the, 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 the Spirit of the Lord happens. And they run into Lydia. And they, they find openness in Lydia to the proclamation of the gospel, to the simple gospel. And then, you know, this other, this other space that Paul has in his life would be his commute. The in-between spaces, going from place to place. And he would certainly run into enough relationships and have people following around him. And this, this place, this commute, this, these in-between spaces is where openness to the gospel is exposed by this slave girl. And by the way, where did they actually run into and encounter this girl for the first time? In the quiet place. They were trying to go pray. And that's when they first run into her. And then she, they keep interacting with her in what I'm calling the commute, from lack of better words. Following them around, proclaiming servants of the Most High God. Paul eventually getting annoyed by the how that's uh, making... It complex his sermon, his messages, his proclamation, undercutting the authority of his message. And then, so then they, out of, out, again, out of brokenness, I think, out of annoyance, they say, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her, which I actually think is interesting. It almost sounds they're annoyed, right? You, typically, you'd say, in the name of Jesus, very pastorally, but it, it comes off like, in the name of Jesus Christ. I, I don't actually see that any, anywhere like that, going that far. It sounds to me like in our current day, in the year of our Lord, 2019, this, this is like the, the frustration, the annoyance. Get out of her. This is unbelievable. Is this happening right now? Get out of her. And suddenly, there's, there's deliverance in this space. But they find out pretty soon that to set someone free never comes without cost. And somebody, uh, uh, somebody's profit venture has been messed with. Somebody's income stream has been messed with. And then Paul and his team has this other space of relationship in their life called consequences. And in the consequences space, they, they, they encounter a whole lot of people that they would not otherwise encounter. A whole lot of officials, a whole lot of boards, a whole lot of committees, a whole lot of leaders, and a whole lot of jailers and guards uh, uh, in that time. And it is in, again, this space where the movement of the Spirit of the Lord happens in the life of that jailer, in the throes of chaos and threat in his life, all these jail doors are open and being, t and being basically fearing for his life, that he's going to be the one held responsible for the loss of all these prisoners. And in that space to be awakened uh, to ambassadors of the divine and to be totally open to what they have to say. Whatever you say, I'm in. You say it, I'm in. These are the spaces in Paul's missionary journey 
that are, are dripped with the Spirit of God, dripped with the fingerprints of God. And we don't actually see anything happening within their plans, within, within what they would expect, within their methods. It's all outside of it. See, Jesus does not operate anywhere within their expectations. He works, one, he works unexpectedly within their plan, because remember, they, they wouldn't have actually gotten in contact with any of these people if they didn't go to Macedonia in the first place. So they have a plan, like we need to go to Macedonia. But he works in a way totally contrary to their expectations within their plan. And two, they, once they get there, uh, uh, the Spirit of the Lord acts entirely outside of their expectations. Their expectations and plans could have caused them to be resistant, hesitant, unaware, blind to, reject, or box in the work of Jesus. But they respond to their credit. They respond faithfully. And in the end, you see the cultivation of a Philippian house church made up of rich and poor, men and women, Jew and Gentile, oppressed and oppressors, fellowshipping under the same roof, breaking bread at the same table. But the Philippian church doesn't exist if Paul and Silas don't respond with faithful openness within those interrupted spaces. If they don't respond with faithfulness and openness to what God is doing in those places that they don't actually expect him to work. Do we respond like this to holy interruptions? Do I respond like this to holy interruptions? Do I see when God is moving outside of my plans and my methods? Do you see when God is working outside of what you expected? Let me take the risk of vulnerability here, and I'll show you my uh, uh, network of relationships here. And I'll show you some ways in which... Um, I don't know, a couple ways in which that's been going well, and then a whole bunch of ways in which I've kind of failed and not been great. So you're going to learn from Lucas, the very worst missionary this morning. Um, so let's say Lucas right here in the middle. I'm going to give you just a few, just a few. And part of the reason I'm doing this, I hope you realize I'm kind of being subtle here. I hope you do this kind of thing. I'm wanting to give you a little bit of a tool or a framework in your own missionary life. Um, so I have, I have my neighborhood. I have Belmont Heights. Um, I also have uh, I also have the Hub. I'm at the Hub a lot. There's a lot of Christians in the Hub, um, so some, sometimes I don't count it as part of my missionary life because there's a lot of Christians up in there. But sometimes, guys, sometimes the staff are like on the edge. You don't know. They're like they're they're just you know you know what I'm saying. I am too. I got my days where somebody needs to come and do ministry to me. You know, in my office, I'm like right on the edge. I'm done with this thing. Um, so sometimes you got to be open to it. Sometimes you got to be open. And there's a guy from the movie theater that comes over there and hangs out with us like once a month, and we do ministry over there. But you know, a lot, by by large terms, um, it's a relational space. But I, I don't really see it too much as a missional space. Then we have uh, uh, the mall. Um, you've uh, you've got the 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 chefs the cooks and then i've got the management people that i try to have a good relationship with when possible and then you've got the uh security guards and you have the um the uh, people who own other shops and uh the business owners and you have people who are trying to engage in civic leadership around this mall um communities all kinds of things so there's the mall space then i have i have what's called the marketplace 
so I try to, as, as wherever I can, I try to spend money relationally. I try to engage in the economy, not as a consumer, but as a participant in local economy. So I try to get my hair cut with the same people. I try to check out my groceries in the same line at the same time on the same day, so I might get the same person every time. Um, I try to I try to eat find regulars. I like to have I like to have um, quite a few people who just know my order. It feels good to me. Um, uh, so. Uh, so marketplace is a space for relationship for me, uh, and then and then I have similar to Paul, I have solo days or what are what are attempted to be solo days, quiet days, prep days. Um, but you're always going to encounter people on those days, always, always, always. And then you might have um, leisure. For I, I'm a parent of uh, a one year and a full four year old, so this is this is almost entirely parks. That's all this is right now. It's just parks. That's all I got. This is all. This is just 15 parks, you know, that we just like frequent and cycle through, and we run into the same people at them. Um, maybe someday it'll be more, uh, but right now it's just a bunch of parks. So I, I feel called. Here's here's what can happen in missionary life. Here's here's what I really want to drive home here. I can feel called, and I do. I do feel a strong sense of calling to Belmont Heights, to my neighborhood. I can feel called there. And I'm, I'm applying a whole lot of creativity, and I'm applying a whole lot of my prayer, like my, my prayer energy, and I'm applying a whole lot of uh, um, um, intercession and relationship into that space, a whole lot. But if, if what happens is we start to believe, this is like, a, maybe, there's a whole lot to talk about here, but if what we start to believe, I think a subtle thing that happens beneath this, maybe I'll speak for myself. You can engage if you'd like. Sometimes we actually think that we bring Jesus places. Uh, and when, when we have that grid of mission, that we bring Jesus places, then what happens is we, we get very concerned about the space we're called to, and then we shut off as missionaries in spaces that we don't feel called to. But if we actually believe that God is actually everywhere, you don't bring him anywhere. You, don't, you haven't brought God one place. You haven't introduced him to one person. He already knows him. He's there. He knows them better than you. He loves them more than you do. He knows how to pray for them better than you do. He knows the history of that place, that neighborhood, more than you do. And if we actually believe God is actually everywhere, then we could actually apply like an amount of creativity to what we're called to, but still be totally faithfully present to the Spirit of the Lord in every space. Because we know He's there, and He might actually be doing something in that space whenever, we, whenever He wants to. And it's our joy to be a part of it. So what happens is, to my shame, self-disclosure, confession, repentance, I got so locked in here. Uh, uh, I, Jimmy's hanging out here. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, I'm developing a relationship, an open, like uh, a spiritually open relationship with Jimmy here. Suddenly, um, I, re I run into Jimmy at uh, the gym, which I guess you'd call leisure. Uh, some people would not call it leisure. It's like torture. So I, I run into Jimmy here. And I'm also kind of running into Jimmy here because, you know, he, he feeds me four times a week. And then, and then suddenly I go to try to prepare my sermon. This happened in Illinois too. I, I had this Panera a block away from my house when I was in Illinois, and I would always prepare my sermons at Panera early in the morning, five in the morning. And every time I'd go to prepare my sermons, there was, a, there was a, an employee at that Panera who was a single mom, and she'd bring her kids with her at five in the morning to start baking bread. And, and it was like a two-year-old and a five-year-old. 
and they would have like an iPad, again, sitting by themselves in the Panera watching cartoons from like 5 in the morning until 9 in the morning when she, she would like be able to take 15 minutes and take them to where they need to go. I'd be prepping my sermon in my solo quiet place, and those kids would come to my table every single time. Every time. Do you want to watch this show with us? We found a new one. It's so great. What do you think of this one, Lucas? What are you doing? What are you doing? I'm writing a sermon. What's a sermon? It's like, um, it's like what people do in church. Uh, you go to church? What's church? Tell us more about church. And these kids are... And I, would, I didn't want to like be a jerk, so I would just like have fun with them or whatever. Every, like whatever. We'd just talk until 9 in the morning. And when I left uh, Illinois, that mom wept. When I went into that Panera and I told the Panera that I'm, le- I'm, I'm moving to Florida, she wept. And I never considered, like for so long, I never considered that space like real ministry. I'm just sitting here trying to write a sermon and I can't write good sermons because these kids keep bothering me. <laughs> Suddenly I'm trying to write my sermon, have my solo, I'm trying to hear, I'm trying to fellowship with Christ, trying to hear from the Lord in this passage at, at the laundromat and here comes Jimmy. Walking right up into my sermon time. This is why I don't deliver good sermons. I'm just trying to be Christian. You know, I'm just trying to be Christian. Just trying to do the best I can out here. Run into him in the mall, in the gym. Took me a while to be intentional about my relationship. Every time I try to try to go into like solo sermon prep space, it just it's, it's almost like poetic or beautiful from God that he would just interrupt those spaces all the time. How might we miss divine interruptions, intentional interruptions from the Spirit of God? Jesus might want to operate within your plan, but in totally unexpected ways. You have a plan, and your plans are good. None of this happens if you don't go to Macedonia, if you don't hear from the Lord and start walking, start taking steps. Don't go away from your plans, but he's going he's to operate in ways that are unexpected to your plans. You might feel called to the floor of your dorm or your apartment, but Jesus is doing things in the whole building, not just your floor. And he might invite you to work with people on the floor above you, the floor below you, and the building next door. You might plan for ministry to your coworkers, but what about your clients? He might call you to do ministry with your clients, but what about your supervisors? He might call you to do ministry with your supervisors, but what about the other staff in the building? Janitors, custodial staff, security guards. Jesus might carry you into ministry completely outside of your plans. You might feel called to neighborhood ministry, but a movement of the Spirit starts breaking out on the bus that takes you to work every day. I was just imagining that this morning, like having the bus that's made up of the same people going the same commute every day, and all of a sudden just people just get to know each other. And just a, Wouldn't it be awesome if there was just a microchurch in a bus route, on a bus? You might expect to do ministry in your soccer league, but a movement of the Spirit breaks out at the laundromat where you wash your socks afterward. You might plan to do ministry among business leaders, but a movement of the Spirit starts to break out among the poor living in the park where you eat your lunch from 12 to 12.30. You might plan on doing ministry among the poor, but your phone is ringing off the hook with business leaders wanting to learn more about what you're doing, curious about why you do it, wanting to get engaged. You might expect ministry to be an escape from your greatest pain and wounds, but a movement of the Spirit breaks out among those who share in that pain and wounds. Not apart from it. You might feel called to single moms and end up ministering more deeply to their children, or you might start a mentoring program only to find more openness among parents. 
I'm not sure how Jesus is going to break your expectations in microchurch leadership and mission, how he's going to do it, how he's going to work within your plans in some ways and work outside of your plans in ways you don't expect. But what I do know for sure is that ministry will never be perfectly what you expect. Never. It will never go as you expect it to go. I have not heard one missionary, one microchurch leader say, this went exactly as I pictured it in the calling lab. I wrote a five-year plan in the Start Something cohort, and I'm in year three, and it's exactly as I designed. Not one. Not one. Planning is for the wise, but plans are for fools. You better plan, but you lock your hand around those plans, and you're just going to miss what the Spirit of the Lord is doing all around you. Because Jesus doesn't want you to grow in intimacy with your own expectations. He wants you to grow in intimacy with him. He's not bound up in those expectations. He's outside of them. The worship team would come up. I just want to end on this word about fellowship. Jesus delights in giving us plans. And he delights in interrupting our plans. Because the source and aim of all missionary life is to fellowship with him. And it is striking to me that each of these accidental interactions with Lydia, total accidental interaction, with the the slave girl, with the jailer, these interactions, these engagements that they stumbled into, every single one of them uh, was happening in moments typically reserved for divine fellowship, to fellowship with God, to have intimacy with God. They go on a Sabbath to pray by the river and they stumble into Lydia. They meet the slave girl when trying to separate themselves to pray. And then they interact with her in the solitude and fellowship of those in-between spaces. They stumble into the jailer in the middle of a prayer and worship experience. In the middle of their cell locked in their stocks. Sharing in the intimacy of Christ's suffering. And I think that repetition in this story is a powerful interplay. Between missionary life. And fellowship with Christ. Intimacy with God. Union with God. I think it's a powerful interplay interplay that crushes the binary choice of intimacy and mission. A binary choice that we sometimes put on ourselves. A binary choice that sometimes we put on others. Between intimacy and mission. We don't pursue intimacy with God to be filled up for mission. Nor do we spend ourselves in mission in order to earn a moment of intimacy with God. But, we, but, but, but fellowship with God is mission. And mission is intimacy. Yes and yes. All of it. We don't bring God anywhere or to anyone. He is everywhere. And we obsess to find him. To be a part of what he is doing whether it is actually within our perceived destiny or totally outside of it. We're just obsessed with finding God and being a part of what he's doing. That's it. Whether it fits neatly within our plans and our dreams and our expectations or whether it's totally outside of what we thought. When I realized God might be doing something in my friendship with Jimmy, I finally started being intentional about my friendship with Jimmy. Instead of just being accidental 
And uh, I start, even though I have a washer and dryer at my house, I started occasionally just getting a load of laundry on Thursday mornings at 10 o'clock to go to that laundromat on the corner of 15th and Fowler because I knew he'd be there. And I started molding my gym schedule around pieces of his gym schedule because I knew he'd be there. And I started eating, uh, very sacrificially eating more often the delicious food that he creates as a servant of the Lord. We've gotten to know each other really, really well. And just before Christmas, a couple weeks before Christmas, we sat at the laundromat and he, he just said, um, you know, he, 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 we, there's a little bit of a language barrier, but we, we've, we've travailed. We've travailed it. And he tried to say to me, you don't understand. It's not so easy for you. I need to help you understand. And what he meant was, you can't understand me unless I tell you something about me. And he, I haven't been using his real name this whole time uh, for, uh, for obvious reasons, but he told me what it's like in this country to be an undocumented immigrant. And then he shared with me the grotesque, brutal nature of his immigration story, how he got here, what it cost, every step of the journey, the amount of people who made it, what happened to the people who didn't make it. And the reason why he's working is to, to, to generate 80% of his income has to go to trying to bring his brother here, his son here, his wife here, living without family. And at the, there's just the amount of trust that it takes to actually share that with someone. It's un unbelievable, especially in these times. And to receive that story, I was just kind of like, man, I, I, you've t I tried to say you've told me and I still don't understand. You know, I can't understand. I can't understand. But I'm with you and I love you and I'm praying for you. And I don't know how else to support you, but I want to as a person, as a human being. And he told me, he asked me, because he knew I was like a man of faith, you know, as, a, as someone who's, uh, uh, um, I've tried to explain to him what the underground is, and it's really difficult to do, but he just sees me as like a person of faith, somehow just like some representative of the divine and some, some connection for him. And he decided to tell me the names of every single one of his relatives back in Honduras so that I could pray for them by name. Guys, we can only respond to divine intervention if we're looking for the divine in every relationship, in every space, in every moment. And he's going to call you to a space. He's going to call you to a people. But you do not use that as an excuse to disengage from the spirit of God in every moment among every people. A constant, unbroken intimacy, a faithful presence with Jesus. And so this morning, how is God inviting you to embrace his unexpected work within your plans? And how, are, how is God inviting you to embrace holy interruptions in your missionary life? Have you been holding on to your ideas too tightly when God is moving in so many other domains or areas of your life? Do you need to let go of some expectations today? Do you need to bring some expectations that have been a barrier between you and what God is doing in other spaces in your life? Do you need to put those barriers at the altar today?
and trust him. Trust him. Is there a person, is there a person even like 20 minutes ago that you immediately started thinking that's who it is? I got to pay way more attention to that relationship in my life, that person in my life. I have to prioritize what God is doing there. I want you to hold on to your answers to those questions this morning as we come to the table. And we remember the God who does not need us to bring him anywhere or to anyone. But we remember the God who by his body and his blood actually broke, tore open the veil and is now present everywhere, knows everyone and everyone has access to in every space on every mountainside. And we go to look for how God is building the church. We don't even go plant churches. Jesus does. We just go look for where he wants to plant them and what he's doing and to come alongside what he's doing. All made possible by the regeneration he's made possible for us. The night he was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. When you eat it, you eat it in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup, poured it out, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. When you drink it, you drink it in remembrance of me. And so this morning, as you come to the table, I want you to just open up your hands that maybe have been closed around methods or ideas or plans or expectations. And be grateful to receive those plans and those methods from God, but to not make them a hindrance to His Spirit in the world. And so we come this morning and we remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And prayer ministry is also going to be available on the two sides If you're just feeling like you want intercession in your life, if you want somebody to come alongside and pray with you for any of those domains in your life, that you hunger for God to come and intersect, that you hunger for people to just be awakened and just be wide open like the jailer, wide open like Lydia. What do you have to say? I just want to hear it. Good news. And if you want to come and intercede, there's people this morning that want to pray with you, be in solidarity with you in prayer. So this morning, underground, the elements given for you.